0: Well, as you know, some of you know, that we're in the midst of the Advent season, and Advent is, I guess, the four weeks that lie between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and this is pretty big for those of us who follow Jesus. I know we got all different types of people listening and all different types of people here with us today from different uh, places and stations on the spectrum of faith, but for us, followers of Jesus, Advent is a huge, a huge deal. And for us, during Advent, as I've said the last couple of weeks, we do three specific things. We give thanks to God for Christ's first coming, we prepare for his second coming, Christ's second coming, and we celebrate that Christ's presence is here among us today. And I realize that that's news for some people because you feel like God is really far, he's distant, and maybe you'll get a chance to interact with him in the sweet by and by. But I'm here to tell you some really good news is that Christ's presence through the power of the Holy Spirit is here among us today. And we can celebrate because Christ's presence is here and he's not far from us. He's not disconnected from the issues that we have. He's not disconnected from the longings uh, of our heart. He's not uh, absent from us while we're in the midst of pain and, and, and trials and loss. He's here with us, good, bad and especially the ugly, Christ's presence is here with us here and now. And we've been saying this year and every year that this is a season of hope. And this is a season of hope, even though that some of, some of us deal with a lot of drama around this season and so there's some pain that we have to deal with. And this isn't a jolly season for lots and lots of people. But if we see this season and see this story through eyes of faith, we see that there's a whole lot of hope in this story, really because this is the greatest story that's ever been told. It's the greatest story that has ever been told, particularly when we keep Jesus at the center of this. And as you go about your holiday, uh, the last few days uh, leading up to Christmas, just remember that Jesus is at the center of this. And all your shopping and all your baking and all your hanging out and all the Christmassy things that you do, this holiday will be maximized if we keep Jesus as the main character of this season. But like we've been saying week after week, this story has Jesus as its main character, but it has some very interesting supporting characters. It has an interesting supporting cast, and we've been in the midst of this series that we've been simply calling the ordinary cast of an extraordinary story. This Christmas story is an extraordinary story, and it's made up of a a really fantastic cast, but we've been focusing on the ordinariness of the cast members. And I've said week after week that ordinary in this culture and context isn't necessarily a good thing. If you don't believe that, then tell your wife she's ordinary, or just tell your husband that he's ordinary, you'll see by their reaction that ordinary isn't particularly something that we celebrate these days. But it's interesting that when we look at the story of God as contained in the works of Scripture, particularly as we look at this story, we see that God has done some amazing things through the hands and the hearts of just ordinary, regular folks like you and me. And that should be inspirational for us today to know that God can use just regular, ordinary folks like you and me. And two weeks ago, we began this series by looking at Zachariah and Elizabeth and the miraculous birth of their son John. Last week, we looked at Mary and Joseph. We looked at their faith. We looked at how God used them and what it cost them to follow, be and uh, be, be a part of this story. And what it cost them to be included in this magnificent story. And we'll continue this series this morning by talking about the wise men. Wise men, if you blink in Scripture, you'll miss the 12 or so verses that speak about these wise men. But I think the story, particularly this installment of it, is particularly significant to us as followers of Jesus. We'll look at their story this morning at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Feel free to turn there with me in your Bibles. There are Bibles on the edge of each row. If you don't have a Bible with you today, some of you will look and follow along on your phones. Others of you can follow along with us. As we project it on the screens, we're looking at the wise men in this story. Matthew chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1. Before I begin this morning, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you, to gather here with your people, to worship you. And not just worship you, Father, but to hear, receive, and hopefully respond to what you will call us to respond to today. Father, I know that there's something in this today for everybody I know that you want to speak, you want to call us to action, Father, and I just pray that you would encourage this morning. I pray that you would challenge us, move us from those comfortable places, Lord, but more important, more importantly, Lord, show us where we are today. Show us where we are today. And Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Would you move the preacher out of the way this morning, Lord, so that your truth and your light and your message might shine through. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. Again, we're talking about the wise men this morning. Verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people. Uh, Verse 7, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Yeah, right. Verse 9, after this interview with the wise men went there, excuse me, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, excuse me, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to King Herod. Now this is a fascinating story. I seriously engaged this story for the first time last year, and every time since, I see stuff in there that I didn't particularly see before, and I think this is a very interesting story, and I think I can make a strong case for reading scripture over and over. You said, I already read that verse. Well, read it again, and I guarantee as you read it again, we call it the living word for a very specific reason because it's alive, right, and a passage can speak to you today and speak to you a completely different way next week, right? Right? And next year and so on and so forth so there's so much richness in this passage and we see that this is a story this is a, the episode right that contains the story of some interesting guys and often we hear these wise men lumped together as three wise men and i don't particularly think that that's necessarily accurate and some people say the three wise men because they came bringing three gifts lots and lots of scholars believe that there were many more than three uh wise men but Regardless of the number, we see that these are interesting guys. Wise men, as this uh, translation says it, but other uh, translations refer to them as magi or magicians or sorcerers from the east, readers of the stars, right? Dabblers in the strange and mystic arts. How's that for a job description? Put that on the resume, right? Dabblers in the mystic arts and strains arts, I think it might be safe to assume, given where they came from, and given what they were into, and given what their profession was, that these were not particularly godly men. These weren't followers of the way. We know that they were Gentile men, and so therefore we can't assume, like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, that these were godly men, those who were all about following God's leadership and all about, you know, understanding who God is and walking in his way, I think this makes this story even more interesting. I think it makes it more significant that these were not particularly godly men and particularly that their profession dabbled in these strange arts that might have been considered something other uh, than godly. It's interesting that God would use these men to do what they did. It's interesting that we find out who these guys are, we can make assumptions about the profession, and yet we see the end of this story uh, terminates in them worshiping Christ, worshiping Him, not just by bowing but worshiping Him, bringing offerings of worship. There's an interesting progression that happens uh, that gets them to that point. And I think that that progression is worth looking at for us today. We find them worshiping the Savior, and we can't help but wonder how they got there. And I think the progression that they took is strangely familiar to us, and I see four things today that I want to pull out of here and just focus on, and hopefully we can see ourselves and locate ourselves in this process. I think outside of there being a huge theme of worship in this particular story, I think there's something of the message of salvation. I think there's something about people being drawn closer to God by his spirit that we can see when we look at this story. So I want to look at four things this morning really quickly. The first thing that I see as these guys, so as we interact with this story, is that they saw a sign of Christ. They saw a sign of Christ. These wise men, they saw a sign of Christ. And for us, this is really the starting point, right? Right? You didn't go to bed one day and then you woke up and all of a sudden you were, you were a Christian. You were a follower of Jesus. You loved the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. For many of us, that's not how it happened. There was a starting point. We saw something. We heard something. Something appealed to us in a way. We, we, we wanted to look into something more deeply because we saw a sign It usually began somewhere. So the first few verses of this passage opens telling us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And that these wise men from Eastern land arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. We saw his star as it rose and we come to worship him. We saw the sign and we were drawn to it. I think it's important for us to know that Jesus is calling. That he's calling. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what your pedigree is. Jesus is calling and he usually begins this process with a sign. Usually begins this process with a sign and I think it's really interesting as we look at this story that the sign he used for these magi, these magicians, these sorcerers, these readers of the stars, was something that they were particularly into. He uses a star. Uses something that might capture their attention, whereas people who aren't interested in astrology, people who aren't interested in the stars might see something cool in the sky, and go, oh, that's interesting, and go about our merry way, but for somebody who dabbled in the mystic arts somebody who would read the stars, somebody who was interested in that sort of thing, that was very curious, and it stood out perhaps like nothing else to them. And so I think it's important for us to understand, particularly for those who are in a place where we're needing to hear from God or we're wanting to hear from God, and I think this applies to us whether you are a believer or not, whether you're convinced, whether you're curious Or whether you approach this from a place of atheism and skepticism and hostility, that God is faithful enough to show us, to show us a sign. And I think this is a church dude. I say I'm a church dude because I grew up in church. I spent my whole life in church. As far back as I can remember, I spent my whole life in church. So I'm bathed in this stuff. We went to three, four services a week, man. That's not even including youth group and like the prayer services. We were in church every time the doors opened. I've heard, I've lost count of the number of sermons that I've heard. I've lost count of the number of signs and wonders that I've seen God do. So being bathed in this, I understand it. I've seen the good, bad, and ugly, and I still choose to engage over and over. But I often wonder, I often wonder, for a person who's never engaged Christ, for a person who's never really engaged this story, I just look at this story and I go, "Man, this is hard to believe. This is hard to believe. I mean, this is a this is this is a, this is a, this is not an easy story to take in. There's a lot of twists and turns to this. There's a lot of stuff in this story that might make somebody feel like somebody's trying to get something over on them. And not to mention all the shenanigans that come along with." you know, church and church life and church folks. I won't get into that. But if I'm honest with you today, sometimes I, would, I just feel like, dang, this is, this is going to be a tough sell. This is going to be a tough sell. But then I remember, then I read stories like this, and then I'm reminded that God can get to anybody that he wants to get to. God can get to anybody that he wants to get to He's faithful to show us signs. And some of you thinking even right now of the sign that God gave you that got you interested. Maybe that wasn't the thing that yanked you and pulled you all the way in, but something caught your attention. Someone caught your attention. Maybe you're flipping through the channels and you saw a preacher on television. And, and some, something he was, it's almost like somebody told him what your situation was. Somebody drug you to church or you went there chasing a pretty girl or a handsome guy. And the preacher read your mail. He read your mail. Or maybe you're thumbing through the newspaper and out falls an ad for a church and the text on there just speaks to you in a way that just really grabs your heart. And the list goes on and on and on because God is faithful. He's faithful for those he's, he's drawing. He's faithful to give us a sign. And I feel like I need to mention or re-mention the fact that this goes for those of us who believe as well. Because if we don't choose to constantly engage this, Particularly if something tragic happens, you get sick in your body, you get hurt by the church, your money starts to get short or something's going on with your kids, you can forget that God is still for you. You can forget that God cares about you. You you can forget that the gospel is still good news no matter what your situation is. And so God is also always faithful to give us a sign. And when we look at this story with these wise men, I'm struck in a way that I wasn't initially struck That God gave them a sign that spoke to them, that got their attention, and that was so compelling that they wanted to take the next step. And what's the next step? The next step is that they responded. They did something with it. They moved on it. They moved on it. And what did they do? The next step in this progression is they moved in Christ's direction. Literally, they moved in Christ's direction packed up their stuff, and they hit the road. Now, they didn't, they didn't catch a flight. They didn't get an Uber or whatever those things are. They didn't hop a train. When you went somewhere, you just planned to be gone for a while. Much of the trip would be travel. But they moved faithfully in Christ's direction, which is a fantastic response to the initial sign. It's such a powerful step in the process, such a necessary step in the process. They saw his star as it rose, and they went, they went to worship him. Let me tell you something. I've had a really significant paradigm shift in, in, in recent years as it relates to God's calling people and God interacting with people, particularly as it relates to salvation, specifically as it relates to who's saved and who's not. Right, if we, we grew up saying, are you saved, brother? Have you been, you know, have you been baptized in the blood? Which is a really weird, you know, way to characterize that for somebody who's not a Christian. But there's always this sort of dialogue about who's in and who's out. Who, if, brother, have you prayed the prayer of faith that somebody, you know, splathers some oil on you? Are you in or are you out? And so for those of us who think that way, we've sort of honed our skills at trying to you know pinpoint just who's in and who's out is that a soda or is that a corona in his hand that's 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 a beer he's he's out (laughs) did you see what she was wearing she's definitely out and so the problem with that you catch somebody on a on a bad day all of a sudden they're going to hell They've been a Christian their whole life. You saw them on a bad, you know, bad day, and all of a sudden, you know, get ready for some warm temperatures. But what I've discovered is, one, I'm not qualified at all to determine who's in and who's out. I've I've resigned from that position years ago, and, and frankly, so should you. I mean, it's all I can do to just make sure I'm, you know, I'm in. No, you laugh, but I'm serious. Right. Now, we can be pretty good fruit inspectors. You know, we know the type of fruit that grows on the tree of the life of somebody who's following Jesus or who's. But, you know, I just think that we're, we're really unqualified for that job. We're really unqualified for that job. And so the paradigm shift for us goes from trying to figure out who's in and who's out and trying to do all that stuff. And I, I just think that that's a hard, hard work. And I think it's, you, you, you yield a lot of false negatives and false positives when you take that approach. And so that approach, the old approach, the faulty approach for us is, okay, Jesus is right here. I'm going to draw a circle around Jesus and everybody on this side of the circle is in. Well, I think there's a different approach. And to illustrate this approach, I'm gonna ask for a few volunteers to come up, okay? Lauren, you can come up. She likes the spotlight. Uh, Ramon, you can come up. I need, I need one more, I need one more. Who, anybody? Uh, Denise, you can come up, okay? Come on up here. Let me make some space here, okay? So if you ladies could come to this side. Don't spill up my water, please. And Ramon here, Ramon here is Jesus. No, 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 you're not Jesus. You're illustration Jesus, you're not real Jesus, okay? Okay, and these lovely ladies will represent somebody on the spectrum of faith, right? So Lauren, would you come here, please? Get real close to Jesus, okay? And Denise, you can stay right there. Actually, would you back up, because you're far from. (laughs) Uh, That's good. So if I were to draw this circle of who's in here, Lauren saved and Denise is not, right? It's just kind of sad for Denise because I like, you know, I want her to make it in, right? But I think this is a faulty, I think this is a faulty approach. I think this is a faulty approach. I think what's most important is that we consider which direction a person is facing because this, could, this can give you a false, uh, false results here, right? So watch this. I'm gonna turn you around, okay? So now if I draw the circle here and determine who's in and who's out, then Lauren makes it in and, you know, she's, she's doing wonderful. Denise doesn't, right? But if I focus on which direction they're facing, I think that that gives us a better representation of what's going on in their hearts. And so when we look at these wise men, they saw the sign, right? They saw the sign from God that pointed them toward Jesus. They took the next step and they went to respond. And so they took the next step. Would you take the next step? Just one step, please. Would you take the next step? My goodness. Now, this girl, she's been in a church her whole life. She might sing on the worship team. She might give her money. She might give her time. But she's facing the wrong direction. Now, Denise over there, you know, she's far. She's far from Jesus. And if we look at Denise, we go, my goodness, why don't she get her act together? But time will play out, and they take one more step, and they take one more step, and they take one more step, they take one more step, and you can stop, but look at the trajectory. Look at the trajectory. And a few more steps, Denise is going to be here facing Jesus, and Lauren, she sings in the choir, she gives her, well, she's probably not doing all that at this point. (laughs) No, really. And so we realize how, thank you guys, thank you, we realize how faulty, how faulty it is when we try to take one snapshot or cherry pick a scenario and determine who's in and who's out, but I would suggest to you that it's really, really important which direction you're headed in. Because you look at Denise, first day she shows up to church, she's wearing a mini skirt and, you know, she's got, Denise, for those of you who are listening, she's not, Dressed inappropriately today, I don't want to <laughs> get any rumors started on the web. But she's got the mini skirt on, she's got the low cut thing, and you go, how dare her wear it at the church? What you don't know is that the, that's the most wholesome outfit in her in her closet, and she put on her best to come to worship because that's what she thought she needed to do. She's facing Jesus, she's heading in that direction. And you look at the lady, she's got the pearl, she's got the Bible, she's got the Jesus brooch on, you know. And surely she's in, surely she's committed, and her heart, her heart is facing the other, do- uh, the other way. And so I think when we look at this whole picture, that's what I'm talking about, it's a picture of worship, but it's also a picture of salvation and faith. We see that these guys, who were not godly men, who were probably in their original state, far from him, they were heading in the right direction. They were pointing toward Jesus. And so before I challenge you to be looking for that in other people, my question to you is, you know, today, you know, you're here and that's fine. You're in the building and that's great. You'll clap and sing when it's time to clap and sing. But, you know, which direction are you pointing? Which direction are you pointing? Uh, Doesn't matter if you're two or two hundred, which direction are you pointing? Are you are you you know are you moving closer to Jesus? Or are you moving far away? Are you moving closer to Jesus? Or are you moving farther away? You small group leaders, those of you who are responsible for discipling people, which is all of us, and your assessment of people, when you're meeting with people, when you're trying to connect with them, when you're talking to them, listen, I'll tell you one of my secrets when I meet with you, I'm trying to figure out which way you're pointing. I'm trying to figure out how to pastor you, how to shepherd you. I'm trying to figure out what your needs are. I'm trying to figure out where you're at. I'm trying to locate you on the spectrum of faith. And I would suggest that for those of you who are disciple makers, those of you who are serious about making disciples and extending the kingdom of heaven, our primary concern should be, you know, which direction, which direction are people facing? Because in time, in time, they will connect in a powerful way with Jesus if they're facing his way. It really matters which way they're facing. And the significant aspect, the next step in this progression for the wise men, is that they moved in Christ's direction, they moved there. And the next step in this progression, which is very significant and very important, is they didn't just come to kick the tires. They didn't just come to sort of peek around the corner to see if there's any truth to this. These guys came. They meant business. They came to worship. They came to worship. Man, they saw the sign. They responded to that sign because that sign stirred hope in them for whatever reason That God would speak to them through their own language, through what they're into, would give them a sign that connected with them, moved in Christ's direction, and they came to worship. They responded, not with just curiosity, even even though that's okay. If you come and you're checking this out and you're kicking tires and you're investigating, hey, that's an important part of the process and I want to knock that. But the next step in this process is to become Worshipers. The passage tells us what happens. They entered the house, verse 11, and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we know that true worship is involved when our valuables are involved. I told you last week, it's going to cost you something to do this thing right. It's going to cost you something to do this thing right. And if you find that your relationship with Christ, your engagement with faith, as a person of faith, doesn't particularly cost you much, then you're probably doing it wrong. Probably doing it wrong got just a casual in and out, I'll see you when I see you type of deal with Jesus. You know, you're probably not doing it right. I don't mean to bust any bubbles, but I kind of do. Kind of do. And so we know when true worship is involved because you come bearing gifts. You come with your stuff in tow. Now before you get uncomfortable, I'm not only talking about money and valuables in a natural sense. I'm talking about who you are who you are made up of your time your talent and your stuff that's 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 who those things make up you that's what you have to offer somebody and so it's no meaningful act of worship if it doesn't involve those specific three things now i need to remind you as i talk about worship or worship and being a worshiper that this isn't something that the special people get to do This isn't a distinction for those who are really in, right? This is who we are. You identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. If you identify yourself as somebody who's believed the gospel message, turned from your sins, and is heading faithfully in the direction of Christ, you have to understand that worship is who you are and it's not just what you do. Worship is who we are. And it's not just what you do. I am a black man, in case you didn't see that on your way in here. I can't check out of this on a bad day or on a day where it's not real popular to be, you know, this shade. I can't check out of this, okay? Can't set this aside. In the same way, for those of us who follow Jesus, a worshiper is who you are or is who you aren't. You understand what I'm saying? And so in this sense, we get that these, this act of worship is what we're called to do. You look at the greatest commandment, love God, love people, right? Big chunk of that is loving God. And what does that mean? Just write him love notes and, you know, play the harp to him? What that means is to surrender yourself and lay your whole life down and offer it to him. Time, talent, energy, resource. And so we see when these guys set out in the direction of Jesus, they came bringing their stuff. And the first thing that they bought to him was their their time. I told you that travel, you know, wasn't some, you know, convenient thing. And we see that they're engaging Jesus as a two year old. Now, I don't want to take any liberties with the text. I don't want to assume that it took them two years to get there, but we can assume that it took them a while to get there, and we that's not even to speak of their return home. And so to engage this process meant lots and lots and lots of time. It also meant lots and lots and lots of energy. Lots and lots and lots of energy. And it certainly, most certainly, included their resource, their stuff, their wealth, their supply. They had to go to the pantry to bring some things in. And they didn't reach past the stuff that expired and the stuff that was blemished, the stuff they got in the, you know, the, the, the bargain bin over at Kohl's. They got the good stuff. And I don't know much about frankincense or myrrh. I know a little bit about gold. What those three things have in common is that they were valuable to them. They cost something. They were important They would miss those items if they gave them away. And so, as worshipers, this life characterized by worship, I think it's important to ask yourself, you know, the things that I'm offering God, my acts of service and worship to Him, is 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 this costly? Is this a sacrifice? Is this, you know, am I am I in a pinch because I gave up these things? Am I missing these items? Am I missing that time? Am I missing that resource? Because if that's not the case, then we're probably, we're probably doing it wrong. They saw the sign. They responded to that sign. They went in this direction, and they came specifically to worship. And as worshipers, we discover that that's who we are, and that's helpful because we will most naturally face some opposition. That's that's the fourth and final step in this process. It might actually even be sprinkled in between the other uh, uh, stages that I mentioned early, is that there was some opposition to this, There's some pushback. And if you're ever wondering, am I on the right track with God? Am I heading in the right direction? Am I living the life of a devoted worshiper? Uh, One of the surest signs (laughs) is that you're going to face some opposition you're going to find some people who don't like the fact that you've chosen to engage this and to engage this seriously. I also need to remind you that, you know, just as real as God is, the enemy is as real. You understand what I'm saying? That we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And his job is to keep you doing everything other than What God put you on this earth to do, namely, to be a worshipper, a lover of God, a lover of others. That's His job. That's what He does. And in case you had noticed, He's really good at it. I mean, He's been doing it for a while. He's a professional. Okay. So we're going to experience some opposition. Nobody spoke up at all when you were drinking every night. You were in the gutter. You were sleeping with anybody that would take you home. Nobody said a word. But when you started going to church, and you started going to small group during the week, and you started going to hang out and singing carols at the nursing home, all of a sudden everybody wants to do an intervention. You know, we're really concerned about you now. We're wondering about about that church you've been going to. You're spending a lot of time with those folks. We're concerned about you. What about when I was in the gutter? What about when I was throwing my life away, neglecting my family, right? There's opposition. There's opposition. And in this particular case, the opposition comes in the form of one King Herod. King Herod. Anytime a king hears about another king, you know, coming into town, it get a little shaky, they get a little nervous. They start to itch, right? And this is what happens with Herod. Somebody rolls into town. We're not talking about just three guys. We're assuming that there's a number of these wise men. They're looking, this delegation comes, these distinguished guys coming looking for a king. Hey, we want to worship the king. Where is he? And Herod's probably like, oh, you know, I'm the king. Will you worship me? Where's my stuff? <laughs> no, we want the Messiah, man. We saw a star. He surely, you know, surely... He's somewhere around here, somewhere. And so Herod gets upset. The Bible says that he was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting together, said, hey, let me know, tell me about this. Brief me on this. Brief me on this. Then he brings the wise men and says, listen, tell you what, when you find this guy, let me know where he is, because I, I, want, I got some gifts for him, too. I got something real special for him. Just let me know. When you locate him, and I'll, I'll be, I won't be far behind, right? And Herod's got bad intentions. J. Vernon McGee says in his uh, commentary on Matthew, on the, on the book of Matthew, that Herod's family was a family of rascals. A family of rascals. He likens them to a first century mafia. If that doesn't say enough, right? These guys were bad news. They were insecure, they were violent, they were territorial, and King Herod would hear nothing of somebody coming into, into his space competing for uh, you know, the people's allegiance. Didn't know much about this king, but he knew that people were calling him king, and he wanted to stamp it out. He wanted to stamp it out. And this is why I say that one of the sure signs that you're heading in the right direction and that you're, you're doing what God has called you to do, is that you've, you, you, you experience some, some opposition. You experience some opposition. It might come from within, or it might come from without. It might be doubt. It might be an overwhelming sense that you're, making, you're being a fool, that you've been taken for a ride, might be this overwhelming sense that the circumstances of your life does not match the promises that God gives you. And so thus there's this tug of war. There's this tug of war. You're constantly wrestling, constantly wrestling with is this legit or not? Comes from within. It certainly can come from without. Maybe it's a doubting spouse or doubting significant other that always challenges your beliefs and always challenges where you're spending your time and energy and you're on the path of obedience. You're pressing into the Lord, but each and every day you have to deal with this person that is you live with and that you love and that you respect, but they don't value, you know, your faith. And some of you I know specifically that some of you deal with that, and that must be a miserable existence to have to, you know, press into faith and to press into Jesus and to try to manage your time and your energy and resource and the person that you share life with and do life with isn't particularly interested. Opposition from without. Opposition from without. It could be that you find yourself on the path of obedience and this enemy just really seeks to just disrupt that for you. The circumstances of life, whether it be academic or vocational, just everything, everything was going fine until you, until you made a decision to follow Jesus. And everything was going fine when you were just sort of sampling it and sort of playing around with faith. But as soon as you made a commitment to faith and as soon as you chose to do this thing for real, it just seemed like things come unraveled and things come unglued. And the voice of the enemy says, listen, you were better off. You were better off, you know. This must you must made a wrong turn here because you were you were doing well before all of this happened. But, you know, the scriptures tell us a different story. It tells us that in this life there will be pain. In this life there will be opposition. Should we choose to make the right decisions and head in the right direction and choose to engage a life of worship and engage the person of Jesus and all that he asks us to do and all that he asks us not to do? Should we choose to engage that we will surely experience, surely experience pain? And I just want to be upfront with you on that. Some of you, this is the first time you heard that. And as you hear this today, as you're sick in your body, as you're struggling with your finances, as you're struggling in your relationships, as you're dealing with the opposite, as you hear this today, this is helping to make sense of some things, helping us understand that Jesus never promised us, never promised us, smoothly paved roads with no obstacles, just peaceful streams and like a little deer, we just go take a little, take a little sip, <laughs> that's weird he never promised us that he never promised us that he did have promise us that every step of the way he would be with us every step of the way sunshine or rain heartache or pain plenty or lack sickness or health he will be with us he'll be with us in the opposition And so when I look at this faithful story, the big picture of it, I look at who God uses, and we zoom in and look at these wise men, we just see a helpful, natural progression that looks strangely similar to our sort of emotional, spiritual progression toward Jesus and toward faith. Toward Jesus and toward faith. And when I look out on this crowd of people, it's sure to be true that we have people at varying stages. The varying stages on that spectrum. Some of you are here today, and you have beheld Christ's sign. It doesn't quite make sense to you. It doesn't, you know, you can't quite explain it, but you know that it's something other than of this world. You know that something drew you in. You know, it's something in you. You're here today maybe investigating it. Others of you are here today because you've chosen to move in Christ's direction. You want to be one step closer today than you were last week. You wanna get just a little bit closer, and today you had to do a self-assessment and say, man, am I facing Jesus or is my back to him? Am I moving close to him or am I far away? I think that's a helpful question for you to ask and answer today. Others of you are here today and the next step for you is, am I gonna be a worshiper or not? Am I gonna go, and am I gonna go, move in Christ's direction just to get a closer look? Just to get, get a, to get a closer peek? Or am I going to come and I want to bring with me my stuff? I want to bring with me all that I am and I'm going to lay it on the altar and worship him with it. That's where some of you are today. You, you haven't quite crossed that line yet, but you're, you're, you're leaning there. And all of us, all of us are probably wrestling with the opposition that we face as we choose to engage this story in a significant way. Where are you at today? Uh, Where are you on on the spectrum of faith? I I think it would be odd if you didn't particularly know. And my hope is that as we worship God, as we just minister him with song, that he would reveal uh, where we are. He would just sort of give us our coordinates so that we can know how to relate to God and how to relate to others. And as we enter this uh, worship team, you can come up. And as we enter just this next few days of Christmas, listen, it's real easy for us to get nutty with this. It's real easy for us to go off the deep end. But I'm going to give you some homework. I'm going to give you some homework. and these next few days, as you go about the hustle and bustle and preparation, I want you to think deeply. I want you to think deeply and be faithful in prayer and say, Lord, just show show me where I am. Show me where I am on the spectrum of faith. Show me where I am, Lord. Reveal my heart to me. Reveal my place and station to me, Father. Give give it to me straight with no chastening. And I think the Lord will be faithful to do that. And as he locates you on the spectrum of faith, you'll know exactly what you should do, what you should do next. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your faithful story. I thank you, Lord, uh, that this faithful story is not just something to amuse us or to entertain us, God, but rather it's something that speaks to us in a way uh, that's profound, speaks to us in a way that's significant, speaks to us in a way that connects, Father. And I just ask that by your spirit, you will show us who we are and where we are today on the spectrum of faith. God, for those of us who need to see you and feel you, and need to sign, Father, I pray that you would be that and that you would do that today. God, would you move us in your direction? Would you carve out and cultivate a heart of a worshiper, Father, and give us strength and courage to deal with any struggle, any obstacle we might face?